Hi guys, welcome back to Infinite Possibilities, the podcast where we explore the lives of amazing people. Their choices, challenges and opportunities. And today I have a very special guest, Asil. Hi Karen, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for being really spontaneous and joining the show. <laughs> I mean, you asked me and couldn't think of a good reason to say no, so I thought, why not? Wow, I love it. So Asil, what is your kind of one minute intro about what you do? Uh, what I do, I'm a cybersecurity engineer at Atlassian. I'm a product security engineer, so try to uh, help Atlassian's products uh, be safer and more secure for people, so to better protect our customers' data and their users' data. Wow, sounds so fancy. So we really want to know how Asil got to where he is, so right at the beginning. Asil, what kind of kid were you like growing up? I was very nerdy. Nice. I was kind of weird, kind of isolated, spent a whole lot of time uh, in my room playing video games, <laughs> uh, in the library, reading, got into tech at a pretty early age. Wow. Learned, learned a bit of programming and yeah. Yeah, were you like self-taught? Was it something that you like fidgeted around with? And it was about? something I fidgeted around with, yeah. It, it became like one of the only things that I rarely tried to do and learn myself. Oh, yeah. And what sort of like fascinated you about it? Some people are into cars, you know, you're into tech. Like. Just the way it worked, like really simple rules that you can logic about and you could reason about. And if I do this, then this thing will do that. If I do this, then this thing will do that. And yeah, it was easy to think about and kind of a bit addictive. Yeah, that's so good. I guess it has that level of predictability. Yeah. X always equals Y when yeah. you put um, some functions in. Also, I really liked video games. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your favorite video game growing up? Huh? Uh, played a whole lot of like, started off early with Ratchet and Clank, then Assassin's Creed and then after playing Assassin's Creed and a few other games with parkour, I decided I'd try and make myself one of those characters. Wow, at what age was this? About 14, 15. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, this girl's running up walls. I looked online, people actually did that. Yeah. Found a, found a club where I was and yeah, started doing that. And running up walls? Yeah. Like Tr actually? Actually or trying. Video no, actually trying parkour. Wow! And uh, got into martial arts a bit that way as well. Because yeah. they fought a lot, they had swords, I learned fencing for a bit. Wow, so your whole life was inspired by video games. What you saw in the video games you tried to recreate in real life. Pretty much, yeah. Wow, wow. A video gamer creator would be so proud to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and can I ask you, did you have siblings growing up? I have a little sister, yeah. Oh. Oh, really cute nice and you also told me something awesome you were born in the UK yeah I was born in the UK though I left there when I was very young my parents were doctors they were on a doing a house officer role there yeah so they moved around a lot and then when I was about two and a half we moved out of there wow and then where did you move to oh, eventually settled in uh, New Zealand in Wellington Awesome. And I basically grew up there. Yeah. Wow, Mr. International. <laughs> Did you enjoy moving around a lot? Was that kind of annoying as a kid? Like you make friends and then you got to move? 
Yeah. It is annoying eventually, like, I got used to it. And it's, it was always good, like, being able to see other cultures and travel yeah. and live in different places. Yeah, it really expands your horizons. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And then, yeah, when you're sort of thinking about the future when you're young, what was sort of floating through your mind in terms of job opportunities slash what did your parents want you to do? My parents wanted me to first, like, be studious. Yeah. Like, good grades. Of course, good grades, that's very important. And then move into a professional job. Yeah. But they were, as long as I didn't become a doctor like them, they were pretty happy with whatever <laughs> wow, I did. Wow, so relaxed. That's funny, huh? Like, if people, like, if their parents came from a sort of more lower kind of educational background ish, they might be like, oh, my children have to be like the highest educational profession. But. No, I mean, they, they made sure that like I was professional, I was educated. Yeah. Like went, went to university, but uh, they didn't think there was a whole lot of time for life in being a doctor. And after they had gone through it and put it the hours, they didn't want their children doing that. Yeah. What kind of doctors were they? Father's an orthopedic surgeon, mother's a psychiatrist. Damn, so that was super busy like when you were growing up, huh? Very, yeah. Yeah, well, that kind of sucks. Well, yeah. not really, I mean... <laughs> you got to play video games, right? No one, no one can tell you <laughs> up, huh? No, well, it wasn't like that. Like, they were very involved. Like, they yeah. were very present. Yeah. But they just had busy jobs. And the route to getting there, like, is it, very long, yeah. Like, from uni up until the house officer, up until they specialize it. Very, very long weeks. Yeah. Very, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did they feel about your video gaming at such an early age? Were they like, yeah, so go live life. <laughs> uh, they were worried I wasn't living life very much. <laughs> yeah, did they get like, um, and then when you started to sort of, you said you tried to make video games? Uh, or no, not really? Not really. I'd never gone to coding video games. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And then, so, when you were, like, um, choosing what to study at uni, what were your kind of options in your mind? I knew I wanted to go into tech. Mm. Uh, I like programming. I was involved with a high school robotics club, so I figured yeah. I'd, I'd do that. I did a degree in computer systems engineering, which let me do a mix of, like, electrical engineering and electronics, as well as programming wanted to go into make dinky little robots. Yeah. And did you make robots? Uh, made a couple, but mostly for uni projects. Looked into career opportunities, and in New Zealand at least, a lot of the robotics companies were uh, centred around like agriculture and fruit picking. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty useful. That is very useful and actually very cool, but when I was younger, I didn't really see it that way. I felt like I didn't want to make a thing that goes pick fruit. <laughs> so what was the dream for you when you were a kid? Like, what kind of robot did you want to design to do what? The dream was uh, space, like aerospace and engineering, yeah. probes, landers, yeah. things like that. But there was only one company in New Zealand that did that, Rocket Lab. Yeah. And they were hard to get into? Yeah. Rocket Lab, if you're listening, 
give this give this man a job. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you've had an amazing career, still having an amazing career. So yeah, let's go into the first one. So while you were at uni, you did human systems group intern at Defense Tech Agency. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, the Defense Technology Agency, it's, uh, it's a research group for the New Zealand military, uh, centered at one of the naval bases in Devonport. And they had a partnership with the University of Auckland where they were like applying through for internships through that. I thought what they were having was interesting. And yeah, I worked on a project with uh, one of the human human factors researchers. Uh, human factors being uh, how can we actually improve a soldier's performance on the battlefield. And he was developing a new training exercise a new training and evaluation exercise where uh, soldiers had were presented targets that were either green for friendly and red for uh, an enemy. And when someone like pulled a string, the target uh, turned and they had to fire at the enemy and move to the next place. And when they pulled a string, they turned and it was measuring things like how how fast after moving to a new place would a soldier be able to pull up a gun, take aim and like do the action? How good were they at differentiating between the like green and red targets and f factors that affected their judgment on the battlefield? Wow, that's probably like a pretty cool like kind of first job. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. It was a cool project and it was a very, very low-tech way to do it, though. Like, they had a stopwatch, they had a video, they were pulling strings. <laughs> so uh, I came in and tried to turn it into more of an automated system. Yeah. Where, like, the dream was to have, uh, well, screens for the targets and um, different targets being able to be put into a central system and automatically do the test without like someone there just pulling the strings. Yeah, they must love with you With a stopwatch. Was it successful? Was it kind of easy to, you know, the thing with bringing in tech, like it depends how receptive people are to it. I mean, it was good, but I was also like 20 years old then, didn't know much and made a very good proof of concept, which I demoed on the laptop uh, and did a presentation about it, but it never really got past the proof of concept stage. Yeah, yeah. Was it just you and like maybe like one or two other people working on it? So it was... Uh, it was just me. Just you? Yeah, yeah. it was... <gasps> wow, that's pretty amazing to come in and be like, hey guys, gonna revolutionize your systems. <laughs> yeah, but like they also knew what... They had a vision of what they would actually get from interns. And yeah. Yeah, it was a very fun experience. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so like kind of entrepreneurial on your end to sort of envision how to do it more efficiently. Yeah, and then you were also a teaching assistant at the University of Auckland. How's that? Uh, that was, <laughs> that was actually good. It was, uh, it was a paper that I'd really enjoyed in my third year of uh, university where students 
put a robot together, put light sensors on the robot and uh, navigated a maze that was cast down from the ceiling with a projector. And on that maze, you had like Pac-Man dots and Pac-Man ghosts. Ooh. And the robot had to uh, observe the maze, observe its position on the, on the line, uh, eat Pac-Man pellets and avoid ghosts. Yeah, wow, that sounds like, whoa, your whole degree sounds really fun. Like It was, was it? very fun. I got <laughs> to build dinghy little robots. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, so you did these two while you were a student at uni. So how did you sort of time manage to, you know, do a bit of work, do a bit of teaching, also get good grades, hopefully, fingers crossed? Grades were all right, but also, <laughs> well... With the internship at the Defense Technology Agency, because I did a university, uh, a degree in the University of Auckland, an engineering school, part of the for part of the degree, I needed 800 hours of work experience. Oh wow, they're pretty strict. Uh, yeah, it's just how the how the industry degrees work. Yeah. Uh, so every student needed to basically take summer jobs and internships to yeah. be able to get their hours. Wow, and like, the Defense Technology Agency was one of them. Yeah, wow, so this is like, um, do they sort of give you like less of a subject load to take on the 800 hours? Or was it just like, in your own time, do those 800 hours? The expectation was you'd uh, do the hours in the breaks between years. Yeah, wow. So I, I did that between my third and fourth year. Yeah, wow, good on you. And then on to the next job, graduate software engineer at Open Cloud. How was that experience? What kind of work did you do? Well, part of the, one of the favorite things I did in university was a computer networking paper where we take a specification of uh, how an internet networking protocol worked, like basically how uh, two computers talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, you're probably familiar with, like, you've heard of HTTP, right? Uh, that's the protocol for passing, uh, for downloading a web page off a server, like the computer asks another computer on the other internet a very specific way. I want www.google.com, give it to me, and then uh, you've got a handshake, they acknowledge each other, yeah. do some encryption, send the thing. I really enjoyed how, like, reasoning about those flows and writing them up. And in my job in Open Cloud, I was doing essentially the same thing, but for telephones. Oh, that's kind of cool. So how does that work? Uh, they they w were building a server for telephone call signaling, basically the stuff that happens between uh, you pressing the green button on your yeah. phone and the other person's phone ringing. Yeah. And finding out like what number is this pointing to, how to actually get there, uh, what quality of signal you have, like whether you can have a high quality of codec on your end and their end or negotiate, negotiate the quality, uh, have implement building. Uh, it's very technical. It's <laughs> honestly very boring. It's, well, was it boring for you though? Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But like, I'm weird. I like these <laughs> kind of standards. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, this one is like very practical, right? Like yeah. phone communication. Yeah. No, that's cool. As long as you like it, 
<laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. And then you moved to the UK, Metaswitch. Tell me more. What happened? Uh, yeah. So the company I was working with, working for in New Zealand, Open Cloud, was a small New Zealand company with 30 or so engineers. And then uh, they got bought by one of their business partners, Metaswitch, which was a larger company that had, uh, they were still in the telecommunications field, but had a whole number of different products. And they were centered in the UK and London. And I took this opportunity to uh, get some overseas experience. So after one of my earlier performance reviews, I asked my boss, like, hey, can I head out somewhere else? Aww, can, I, cool. can I move away to London? And they were really happy to do that. They were happy to have some sort of cultural movement in cross-pollination. And they moved me over there. Yeah, wow, and how old were you? That's pretty brave, new start. This time I was probably 23, 24. Yeah, that's awesome. Were you scared? Were you like, oh man, like, I'm so secure here, got my family here? I was a bit, but it also felt like the time to do it. I felt like I was getting quite good at the old job and I was worried that if I didn't move, then I I would miss my chance to. Yeah, yeah. So you moved like pretty much as soon as they were acquired, like very fresh. Yep, about six months after they were acquired, when, after they had uh, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, yeah. I just moved over. Yeah, that's cool. And how was it going from New Zealand to UK, back to your old roots, that you probably don't remember much because you left when you were so young? So Wellington has about 300,000 people. <laughs> it's a very nice city, but very quiet. Uh, London has over 10 million. Nice, big shock for you. Huge shock. Uh, <laughs> at one point when I first visited, uh, first got to London, I had to get a bi biometric visa permit. So I decided to like, go take the take the London Underground, take the tube to go get it. It was quite central. It was in King's Cross. And I went to King's Cross Station at 4.30 on a Thursday, right when people were getting out of work oh, and perfect timing. had a bit of a panic attack. Because <laughs> I'd never seen so many people in one place that busy before. Wow, did you get shoved around a lot? How was that experience? <laughs> got shoved around a lot at first you if you ride the tube like you're kind of stuck standing next to someone's armpit it, <laughs> it took Up me a while to adjust to that <laughs> yeah and you stayed in the UK for like three years or something for a couple of years yeah I was there on the New Zealand citizens have a visa before they're 31 years old where they can just go live in the UK no questions asked provided that they show that they can support themselves. Yeah. And yeah, I say they're for the length of that visa. Yeah, no, nah, that's pretty good. And then tell me, oh, so when they, um, when Open Cloud got acquired um, by Metaswitch, did any of the work that you do change really much? Uh, when I moved over there, I was put into another team. And yeah, over at Metaswitch, like I started off very, uh, back-end development focused. So like 
server side not interacting with anything a person would actually touch. Yeah. <laughs> and then the first thing I was doing, I was doing uh, Android development uh, on actual mobile phones and working on how to make a button the right, sh the right shade of blue after you click it, <laughs> click it and things like that. It was very weird. Yeah. <laughs> so you still prefer the back end, it sounds like? I prefer the back end, yeah. But Why like, it's, I find the problems just a bit more interesting to me. <laughs> like it's more computers talking to each other instead of like displaying things in a way to be friendly to humans. Yeah, I'm very bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all good. And then tell me about going to Microsoft, hallelujah. Uh, yeah, so this was a couple of years after I moved back to Wellington from London. Uh, I, because like the company was still owned by Metaswitch in the UK, halfway into the pandemic, uh, I logged on to and checked my emails and found out that we had been bought by Microsoft <laughs> as part of a pitch Microsoft was doing to try and move their, um, try and move the telecommunications industry into their like Azure public cloud. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we, everyone I was working with freaked out and we didn't know what was happening. Yeah, wow, what a shock. Like, yeah. not just once, but twice in your career, like a acquisition of an acquisition. Yep, uh, this was like five years into the career, my third company I worked for, yeah. and still my first job out of uni. Yeah, wow, and how did you feel about it being like acquired by Microsoft? Were you like, wow, this is... This is awesome. I've always wanted to work at Microsoft and here's my chance. I mean, Microsoft was cool, right? It's a big name. Like, yeah. I first moved from an organization of 30 people to one of about 500 yeah. to one of about like 150,000. <laughs> yeah. So wow. it, it was a bit of an adjust, adjustment period, like getting used to that scale. But Microsoft did have us doing mostly uh, the similar work that I'd been doing previously, except since Microsoft was trying to push our servers cloud-based, they had to have it compliant with uh, their security. And I realized that when I was doing those changes to do that, uh, boost security, implement proper encryption and things like that. I really enjoyed that work yeah. a lot more than anything I'd done previously. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And also tell me about leaving the UK. Uh, Why leave? <laughs> uh, I left for family reasons. Yeah. And also because like it was the end of my visa. Yeah. Yeah. It was, honestly, the UK is great. London is great, but two years is a long time to be on the other side of the world. And then, so you moved straight back to New Zealand? Uh, yeah. Nice. And then, what did you do? Uh, you were Microsoft for like a year and a bit, and then... For almost two years, and uh, got married, uh, started working on the... Started working on security more and realized that this is actually the kind of work I want to be doing. Yeah. Because, like, I really liked... 
I really like the externalities of it. I really like the effects that work was doing because yeah. before it was like helping phones talk to each other, that's fine and all, but uh, with the security work, I could really understand the effect that would have on people. Yeah. Like keeping people safe, keeping people's like data and privacy safe. Yeah, it's pretty meaningful. I, I found it meaningful, yeah. yeah. So I wanted to be able to do that full time. Awesome. And then you left Microsoft and then yeah. where to? Which Ooh. is why I left Microsoft. And I, I started looking around for, uh, because I had a software development background, cybersecurity is its own thing. It's its own degree. It's, it's basically a, an entirely different craft. And I started looking for organizations that would take a chance and would try and teach me that. Yeah. Because like, after you enter the workforce and start making money, it's hard to go back to school. Yeah. And I, you don't want to be poor. <laughs> and I didn't really want to do that. Yeah. So uh, Atlassian actually did take a chance after my interview period. Uh, they, they saw that they could train me up, so I got a cybersecurity job there and moved over to Australia, which is why I'm here in Britain. And you came to Australia just at the beginning of this year? Uh, yeah. Wow, amazing. Was it hard to leave New Zealand? New Zealand's not far. I know, it's very close, that's good. Like, it's not that much further than Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, and there's not much culture shock between New Zealand no. and Australia. So, yeah, that's good. Nice and close to the family. Yeah, and then tell me sort of kind of what's a day in the life as a product security engineer? Uh, so what I do on the product security side is, uh, often people think about like security engineers as hackers, like yeah. putting on a Whoa, hoodie, so cool. putting, <laughs> putting on a laptop and uh, getting on a laptop and putting a Guy Fox mask on yeah. and trying to hack into something and yeah. do something nefarious. Uh, but I personally prefer being on what's called the blue team, oh. which is like, those are our adversaries. They could either be like corporate espionage or hacktivists like politically operated or agents of uh, three-letter agencies. Three-letter agencies, you got to explain some stuff. <laughs> Wait. Three-letter, like, you know, NSA or like Mossad or the Syrian electronic army, like state-backed actors. And they try and uh, subvert people's system, like company systems for various reasons. Like someone could go after a company at, like Atlassian for its customers. Yeah. And uh, my job is to uh, try and find ways to prevent that happening. Wow. Like try and uh, protect our company data, protect our customers' data and their end users as well. Yeah, damn, sounds hard. <laughs> uh, it is, the issue with like being where I am on and being like on the blue team as they call it, yeah. is if you're an, if you're an attacker, if you're like, 
if you want to try and hack into the system or bring a bring a website down or like find out a whole lot of personal data you often only need to find one weakness you need to find a uh, one exploit yeah. and then you can uh, take advantage of that and use that to find out other things maybe you get into a bypass someone's password and then get into a corporate email and be able to talk to their reports and build trust that way but what you only need to find one avenue into a system whereas if you're on a blue team uh, you need to essentially be perfect you're not able yeah. to give a single mistake a single avenue yeah like you have to cover everything where they only have to find one weakness yeah it's much easier to be an attacker than a defender yeah. actually yeah so blue is the defender kind uh, of. blue team is defense a uh, red team is attack ah that's kind of like a fun naming system <laughs> yeah and also kind of curious how hard was it for you to learn all this kind of like cybersecurity kind of thing i'm very much still learning yeah but once you've had a few like years as a developer or in the industry it's not incredibly hard to find uh not incredibly hard to pick other things up yeah and the field i've wound up in within atlassian i'm uh, in sort of an unofficial working group on uh, ai security yeah so security of uh, applications interacting with things like chat gpt oh that's fun and cutting edge <laughs> yeah and the nice thing about being in that position is these things are very new. Yeah. No one knows about them. Yeah. Like no one knows about the security or the implications at all, but they're everywhere, so I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and also um a lot of people who watch my podcast are kind of like students or maybe they're fresh out. So, do you have any tips for like how to find work that you enjoy and etc.? Uh first like find out what you enjoy uh, find out what you're good at try things like if you've got a hobby try and find work within that hobby yeah and if you like me uh want something new that want to do something new that you don't previously have the skills for uh try and find someone who can teach you like try and find a mentor try and find someone who can take a chance often like if you demonstrate that you're clever you're a good learner and also like a nice person yeah <laughs> chances are like someone will take a chance and try and bring you up and upskill you into a new area yeah that's awesome also going to talk about some fun stuff so tell me about running up walls so i mean i would love to request for like a live demonstration and everything but <laughs> at such short notice maybe not possible yeah so how was the whole parkour experience uh, <laughs> very know. enjoyable like basically while uh, when i was a kid up until 15 i i didn't do any exercise <laughs> i i just played video games and because like nothing really t- 
took my curiosity all that much. Yeah. Like, I was very bad in team sports. <laughs> I didn't like hitting a ball around. But then once I saw that this thing that I saw in the games was actually a real thing, yeah. people run up walls and jumped over things and vaulted over railings and did backflips and whatever. Yeah. Uh, I thought I had to try it. It looked yeah. really cool. And I found a group of people in Wellington that all got together and did that. And that was sort of my gateway drug into <laughs> fitness and other exercise. Wow, that was the beginning. So that was at 15 when you tried parkour. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did you do parkour for? Uh, I did. I did that from uh, 15 up to and through uni until I until I, one, got a real job, and <laughs> two, realized that every time I injured myself, I was taking slightly longer to heal. <laughs> and doing these things, I did injure myself quite a bit, like from falls or going up a wall and face planting it and hitting my ankle. Wow. Do you have any fun stories you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> Just a... One of the fun things of when you do something like that is, okay, you can do a vault, you can do a jump and things go fine, but they don't always go fine. You yeah. re you realize that it rained a couple of nights ago and the surface <laughs> is still wet, so you just smack into it. Or you miss a jump and you just fall a couple of meters onto your side and you have to orient yourself so that you don't hurt, hurt yourself yeah. too much. And injuries kind of stack up. Yeah. So after that, I moved on to bouldering. Wow. Okay. Before that, um, so what's the coolest thing you did in parkour? So did you fulfill your dream of running up walls? Uh, How long does that take? You might have to try it at home. No kidding. <laughs> it's actually not that hard. Oh. Like if you if you get a good run up, if you put your foot above like say waist height on the wall yeah. and try and transfer your momentum from forward to up you can get pretty good height wow like you need to get over the mental thing of this is a brick wall and you're running straight at it <laughs> and once you can once you get over that mental thing going actually up isn't that hard like yeah. if any of your listeners want to try it out i do highly encourage it you don't even need to be fit to try i wasn't fit when i started but you do small stuff and you slowly build fitness you build confidence and like one of the one of the greatest pieces of advice i heard when i was training is to do something scary every day oh. and eventually things stop being as terrifying Wow, well, that's pretty cool. Have you ever like run straight into a brick wall because your timing was off? Yes. <laughs> yeah, a couple of times. It hurts. I have a chronic injury in my right ankle <laughs> because of it. <laughs> wow, and no regrets. Did you wish you chose like a safer sport, man? Like, wow. No, it was fun. And if I didn't do it, I probably wouldn't be doing any fitness. Oh, okay. So your parents like, loved it. Like, mm. oh no, they hated it. They were like, what are you doing? <laughs> But I was adamant and after a while they kind of gave up on trying to stop me. Yeah, wow. But, like video games ruined a seal's life. No kidding. <laughs> but through that I got into 
things like martial arts. I got into yeah. running. I got into rock climbing. Wow. Uh, I built a connection with my body, which I didn't have previously. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell me about bouldering. So what exactly is bouldering? Uh, bouldering is a form of in a form of rock climbing about I like to do it indoors in gyms where there's two main types of rock climbing there's a lead or top rope climbing where you have a harness and you have someone billing you where they like where they keep your weight so if you fall off the while you stay there and they can gently lower you down and they go really high yeah, and you like go really sport, high <laughs> or there's bouldering which i enjoy doing which is uh lower lower walls they go up to about three or four meters you've got crash pads off the bottom and if you make a mistake while you're bouldering you just fall i don't like the sound of that you just fall and land on the ground and it's a nice crash pad and if you know how to land which like I did cut my teeth doing parkour landing on concrete. Cut your teeth? It's, a, it's an expression. I had, my, I had my training landing on concrete. So oh, landing oh, on oh, a oh. nice soft crash pad felt like landing on a pillow. Like that, that didn't scare me as much as being 10 meters in the air, yeah. falling off a wall and going like, oh my God, I'm so high up. If I fall from here, I'd die. Yeah. So wow. I... I enjoy bouldering a bit more. Why didn't you choose the safe option where the person just lowers you gently? Did that not give you that, you know, that excitement, that adrenaline? I'm afraid of heights. I don't like being high up. <laughs> okay, got it. So how long did the bouldering stage last? Uh, I'm still doing that on and off. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, and then tell me about the other um, things you've done in terms of fitness. Uh, when I was in uni, I got into fencing a bit. Yeah. Uh, That's a safer I, sport, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, attacking each other with swords is definitely a safer sport. <laughs> you have full protection. It's hot. Yeah. I did that for a couple for a year in uni and got to the point where I was good enough that I had to either like decide if I wanted to do this properly and start buying my own kit or not. Yeah. And I decided the kit was too expensive. <laughs> so how much is the kit? It's like a hundred? Uh, but you were a poor uni student back then, right? Like a proper kit of a sword, helmet, uh, whatever leggings you have, a protective jacket. It will probably set you back a grand or so. Wow. Damn. And you were at uni at that time, so yeah. can't afford. Yeah. Damn. The limitations of money. <laughs> but also like it wasn't as much my thing really it wasn't violent enough <laughs> Not, it was actually quite aggressive i i was awful at it at one point i started practicing like epe uh, a farm fencing where you'd need to touch anything on your body or need to touch anything on the opponent's body yeah like not not just the dorsal yeah. and uh, I started going against an experienced guy and he kept stabbing me in my face wow. like on the mask and it was slightly embarrassing <laughs> and I just didn't have as much of an aptitude for it. 
<laughs> wow, damn, at least you're protected, yeah. I guess, but it's it's pretty weird feeling. Yeah, but I'm I'm very happy I tried it. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good attitude. So tell me about martial arts. Is Wing Chun like the first martial arts you've tried or? Uh, when I was a child, my mother put me into karate, then taekwondo. I did it for a while. I never really uh, stuck to it. Yeah. But then in high school, I got into Aikido, mm -hmm. which is a which is a martial art similar to judo, uh, which is like uh, concentrated on joint locks and throws and wow. non-violently subduing an opponent. Yeah. Opponent. And I did that for a couple, for a few years uh, in high school, and then after getting a job in uni to before I, to before going into London, and got to a good level of that. But then realized I'd been doing martial arts for three years now, and I didn't know how to throw a punch. Oh, yeah. Because like it's a very non-violent, very defensive martial yeah. art, and moved to uh, London and of course by this time I had seen the Ip Man movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I figured I'd try Wing Chun and I found a martial arts school uh, not very far from where I lived in North London, the London Wing Chun Academy. Whoa, uh, I didn't know this part of the story. Yeah, uh, who wa which was uh, run by a uh, Sifu Mark Phillips, who was, who was also a doctor of criminology, also a BJJ wow. black belt, wow. and also teaches uh, Sanda kickboxing. Wow. And in his school, it was traditional Wing Chun, but also BJJ and also kickboxing. And he did all of them. It was kind of an all-you-can-eat, like, <laughs> buffet. <laughs> do, do whatever of these martial arts you want. And his, uh, his training style was actually, it was based on traditional Wing Chun, but it was quite practically minded. Wow, where there was like practical Wing Chun. Oops. <laughs> it actually does, yeah. But yeah. there was a lot of focus on pad work, a lot of focus on applications, and also quite a bit of sparring. And he cross-trained it with other martial arts, so you'd go from a Wing Chun drill, step back, and then do a Judo throw to someone. And... Oh, so they kind of mix it. Yeah. Oh, that's quite interesting. And how long did you do it? I did that, like, for a couple of years while I was in London. Yeah. And then once I moved and once I left the school, I didn't really do any martial arts for a few years while I was back in Wellington until I moved back to Brisbane and found our school, Practical <laughs> Wing Chun. And the reason I joined that was from what I saw online and in the trial there, Ethos was very similar to uh, what Sifu Mark Phillips was doing. Like our Sifu, Jack yeah. Long, was, was actually a friend of uh, wow. Mark Phillips oh, and wow. they do have a very similar philosophy to their training style. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Has there been any other differences? Like, they're very similar. Is the vibe different? Uh, or did you, like... Because I know some schools, like, they don't necessarily follow the order that we do, where you just, like, do Silum Tao, and then you do, like, Chum Kyo, and then you do Bilji. Like, some people, they learn, like, 
a lot of the Chomkyu stuff very early on or XYZ? Uh, well, the form is quite different. Oh, wow. I would love a live demonstration yeah. after the podcast. Maybe after the podcast, but like, because uh, our, our grandmaster, uh, Sifu Wan, Wan Kim Lung, yeah. uh, <laughs> essentially changed the martial art quite a bit after his Sifu passed on and developed practical Wing Chun oh. and essentially changed the form himself to what he thinks is was more of a practical application. And uh, my Sifu in London, his lineage was from uh, his Sifu, James Sinclair, who learned from In Chun and the Ip Chun and then Ip Man. Wow. So they were a very traditional lineage. Yeah. Uh, he didn't change the form as much, but he changed like the vibe of the class. So there was a different form, there's different movements. Uh, he, when my habits from learning from him uh, were, I was very tense, I was very stiff and put in a lot of power into every movement. Yeah. And now everyone at Practical Wing Chun yeah. is trying to teach me to relax. And I'm, oh. that's the journey I'm on now with Wing Chun. Yeah, damn. Were you able to bring some stuff over from uh, learning in UK to... Some of the techniques are yeah. similar, so it, uh, it was both like I learned other techniques faster, but also retreading muscle memory yeah, is quite difficult as well. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, it's good and it, it's bad. I, I wouldn't say it sucks, it's just... I'm learning different and new ways of doing things. Yeah, good and, attitude. And there is a place for some of the techniques I learned with uh, Sifu James Sinclair, and there's a place for the techniques I'm learning with uh, Dar Sifu. Yeah, yeah. And what is your favorite technique? <laughs> uh, I've just gone to level two, and I'm quite enjoying uh, Hoi Sao. Yeah, Hoi Sao, so good. Like, Hoi, hop, hop. Hoy, that's like yeah. the best combo. <laughs> like you've got to love a big powerful chop. Yeah, and straight to the neck. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to cut there, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Cool. So we're nearly at the end of the podcast. Just a few more quick questions. So that deep one that you've been dreading. So Sil, what's the meaning of life for you? I don't know. But just like try and enjoy, try and be there for the people you care about, try and find things you do enjoy and you're good at and do more of that. Uh, people say that, oh, the meaning is to like be very productive, nose to the grindstone, get like, get far in life, progress, get rich, but and there's a place for that, but don't forget that your joy is also something that you produce. Yeah. And if you're enjoying something, even if you're not the best at it, like the fact that you enjoy it is, the, is valuable. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. 
The next question is, so, so if you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do differently about your life? I mean, I want to say that I'd still, uh, I'd still uh, try and be helpful to people. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be, it would be, of course, in a different way. I might do a lot more freelance work, a lot more charitable work. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not trying to earn a living, then I'd try new things and probably, like, find a chef to teach me how to properly cook yes i would love that i'll join um, your cooking class i mean i <laughs> basically just try as many new things as i can handle yeah that's awesome you are quite adventurous huh i i like new experiences yeah that's awesome and the final question is what is an ideal day in the life for you it can be work related it can be non-work related etc i mean an ideal of then the life right now is uh, getting up, uh, getting up early, hitting the gym. Nice. If, if it's a weekday, like sitting, sitting down in my office with after a good breakfast with like my tea and my work. Uh, going out for a walk in lunchtime to a cafe with a good book. Yeah. Coming back during the afternoon and then uh, after work preparing a meal with my wife and yeah. just like enjoying the evening together. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so we're at the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you for having me, Karen. Yeah, I want to say bye. Bye. Uh